And the topic uh, this afternoon, is it afternoon? Yeah, afternoon now, is Christ and culture. Um, this is as broad of a topic as you can imagine, but yet I'm only given 40 minutes or even just 30 minutes to talk about it. So my comments will have to be very brief and uh, in a way quite general. Um, what exactly are we talking about when it comes to uh, Christ and culture? The question that we're addressing today is how do we engage the gospel with culture, with society? Um, how do you do, you know, engagement, you know? And so today, basically what I want to do is just to highlight for you the tension that we all experience and sense uh, as Christians living in a fallen world in a secular society that often is quite hostile to Christian faith and practice. How do we do that? How do we um, engage and how do we become a transforming uh, agent uh, to the place where we live? And so now you have an issue about how does Christianity relate to society with government, you know, and uh, with policies. And these are the issues that we need to deal with. But first of all, I want to begin by uh, defining what culture is. Now, this is a very technical uh, definition that I'm providing for you. And there are various different uh, ways uh, in which to define culture. Uh, what I'm giving to you is an anthropological or a sociological definition from the social sciences. If you talk to theologians, they would give you more, I mean, they can give you, a, let's say, a biblical definition. Some will give you a more theological definition. But I'm giving you today, from an anthropological point of view, um, uh, from the social sciences of what uh, culture is. And I think this is the preferred, and in my opinion, the better way to approach uh, uh, human experience and human culture. This is from Paul Hebert, uh, who was a missionary uh, to India for a number of years and uh, taught uh, at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for a number of years, one of the leading anthropologists in the last 50 years. He's passed on now. This is how he defines culture. The more or less integrated systems of ideas, feelings, and values, and their associated patterns of behavior and products, I mean, the things that we produce in culture, shared by a group of people who organize and regulate what they think, feel, and do. Oh, that's a, a, a mouthful. Let me try to unpack this a little bit. Um, when you think about culture, we all live in culture, we're all part of culture, we produce culture. But when we talk about culture, uh, it's almost as if we're talking about an iceberg. All right? uh, here is a picture of an iceberg. Normally, what you see in culture is what is above the water level, all right? Uh, how people behave, what people do, how they interact with one another, the things that we produce, the feelings associated, our sentiments, and even our values in society, all right? Um, but even though at the surface level, that's what you see, but at the bottom, like an iceberg, there are many, many other things that actually are part of it that we're not aware of. These are the subtleties that we need to somehow understand, uh, which go into uh, culture a little bit more deeply. So, uh, you know, for a foreigner uh, like myself to come in from a different part of the world, and I can only look at the superficial level of Singapore culture. I can say this, 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 and that, but 
I don't really understand why you are the way you are. Why do you do this? You know, why are you so kiasu? You know, I mean, uh, as, uh, you know, as Singaporeans are, now I know a little bit better. Haven't lived here for 10 years now. Uh, but you cannot just judge someone by how they behave. You have to understand something much deeper than that. So I like to propose looking at uh, culture uh, in a more comprehensive way. Uh, and the first thing we do is obviously look at the behavior. How do people act, okay? When we look at the behavior, what we're talking about is why do people do what they do, okay? Uh, why do you like shopping so much? Why do you um, enjoy eating so much uh, in Singapore? And you have the, the, the one of the best food countries uh, in all of the world. Uh, why do you stand in line? Why do you queue up on almost every line, you know? I mean, uh, these are very unique things that you don't find in other parts of the world. So you understand that. Uh, but we need to get deeper into the iceberg to find out why are people the way they are? Why do they do what they do? The second level is that obviously what we do is in part determined by the values that we hold, all right? Things that are important. What we consider to be good, what we consider to be best. And culture to culture, they will have different understandings and different, uh, uh, you know, definitions of what is our value. In Singapore, obviously, what is important to you is that you work hard because society values include meritocracy. You earn what you have and you work hard at it. And you will be judged and you will be uh, rated by your KPIs, all right? I know that now too. So, uh, so these are, what are some of the controlling values of Singapore uh, culture? Well, meritocracy is one. We live in a religious, diverse, uh, and uh, pluralistic, culturally pluralistic society. And one of the important values is to get along, harmony, all right? And we need to be uh, conciliatory. We need to learn to tolerate uh, and, and promote uh, unity. And so these are some things that you need to rec recognize. And then, but deep down, you know, even beyond the values, there are certain beliefs, systems, that you may not even be aware of. Why do we consider meritocracy to be so important? What comes out of that, you know? And so when we talk about our beliefs, what we are saying is what is really true, all right? And so if you read any anthropological work on Singapore culture and society, normally what people will say is that Singapore is actually, uh, what we really believe beyond our values is that we believe pragmatism to be important. That's really what is true. We're pragmatic. Don't tell me what the truth is unless you can prove that it works, you know? And so you go a little bit deeper and you think in that way. But what is really controlling uh, the behavior, the values, and our beliefs, our belief system, is our worldview. In other words, really at the very core of what we see as reality is what I, uh, what, when I talk about worldview, is what is real, all right? What is real? What is the ultimate reality that we see in, in our world, in our society, in Singapore? So this is an anthropological way of looking at culture from social sciences, sociology, anthropology, 
uh, because every culture will exhibit these layers of thinking and, and uh, integrated system, all right? So with that in mind, uh, when we say, as Christians, we want to engage culture, engage the gospel, you know, with culture, it, you know, take the gospel, engage the gospel with culture. We are talking about trying to transform society and culture on these various different levels. So in other words, we're not just trying to change a person's behavior. We're not just trying to change a person's values. We're not just trying to change someone's beliefs, religious beliefs. Ultimately, when you engage, and at the deepest level of engagement, what you want to do is to help others who are not Christians to buy in to a worldview, a new worldview, which is for us the biblical worldview. The Bible for us spells out what is ultimately real. We didn't come out of nothing. You know, we didn't, the world didn't just come about because of the Big Bang Theory of out of randomness. We believe from the biblical uh, perspective that there is a creator. He created the heavens and the earth. He created, you know, all of the universe. He created man and in humans and the whole story of the Bible. So ultimately, what we want to share with people uh, and what we want to endeavor to do as a church is to transform worldview, all right? Uh, but obviously, not everyone's going to agree with us. So how do you do this? Um, so when we talk about engagement, I'm using now, uh, in place of the word engagement, I'm shifting now using the word contextualization. How do we engage? How do we uh, engage the Bible with society and, and culture? Here's another good definition. There are many different definitions of this. So I say contextualization means relating the never-changing truths of Scripture. All right? That's very important. The Bible is eternal truth. We won't change it. But we want to know how to relate the never-changing truths of Scripture to ever-changing human context. Culture is always changing. It's never static. So that under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus Christ is expressed in appropriate local linguistic and cultural patterns uh, and the ways in which particular Christian communities live out their commitments as Christ disci of disciples of Christ within such cultural context. All right, that's a mouthful right there. So when we want to engage society, engage culture with the never-changing truths of, uh, uh, of the Bible, but society is always changing, you know? How do we do this? Well, we want to somehow couch the biblical message in, in words, in linguistic words, in, in language, or in cultural forms that people can understand. Normal people, ordinary people will understand and not use Christian jargon, all right? but in a way that they are able to uh, relate to what you're saying. And we need to, as Christians, not only just proclaim, 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 talk, 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 but we have to live in a way that people can see that we are different, that we are, in fact, Christian. Both are important, all right? So what I want to share with you today is that basically is two passages from the Bible. One passage uh, is from Jeremiah chapter 29. Here we have an example of the way in which uh, the nation of Israel was put in Babylon 
and uh, they were exiled to Babylon uh, because they had sinned, and God put them in a foreign land, you know, and this is what the text says here. This is what the Lord uh, Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Right? Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Understand the context. The Lord exiled his people into Babylon because they have sinned. You know? And here is giving them the injunction, the command, for them to um, seek the shalom of Babylon. Uh, in the Hebrew text, seek the peace and prosperity is actually the word shalom. You know? And so I, I hope you can begin to understand that we too are living as citizens. You are citizens of Singapore. You're living in a, a land that is, you are citizens here, but our, ultimately our identity, our permanent residence, you know, our ultimate re, re, you know, residence is in heaven. So we all have a dual identity in that sense. We are kingdom citizens, but you are also citizens of a particular city, nation, state. All right? And there's tension there. All right? So what I'm saying here is that how do we, uh, just like the Israelites, how do we live as citizens in exile? The Bible talks about Christians who are living in the diaspora, in the First uh, Peter chapter 1, that we are aliens. We are aliens. We are sojourners in a foreign land because this land doesn't belong to us. Ultimately, we belong to heaven. But we are passing through, you know. And so we have, as Christians, this dual identity. You are committed to your country. You're committed to kingdom building here, committed to your communities, building up the communities. You're committed to being, seeking the shalom of your communities, but at the same time, your communities don't share your values exactly. And your identity ultimately is Christian. You're seeking, you know, you're looking forward to what, that, that one day when you will be away from this place. So there's tension here. And, I, and what I want to share with you today is how do we balance that, I, that tension uh, that we live as Christians? Now, as citizens... Uh, I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm also a permanent resident of Hong Kong. Uh, I'm not a PR here in Singapore. But you are PRs. You are citizens of this country. As citizens, you have rights and you have your obligations, right? And that means, as citizens, you are committed to the city and the land to which God has placed you. This is your home. This is your nation. And so whenever uh, issues come up, the Christian church need to speak up on matters pertaining to the welfare and the shalom of this country. And, uh, and as Christians, you know, you uh, embrace the biblical worldview. You believe what the Bible says is ultimate truth. It's real. And so you should not be all religious when you engage with even societal secular issues. You know, 
there's no dichotomy of that. Uh, and so you have certain values, you have certain beliefs that you need to engage the city with. And I think on many fronts, we are, as Christians, we need to speak up. No? What are the issues that you're facing now that we're not speaking up as much on? Uh, there are many social issues now in Singapore uh, that you should be aware of. The LGBTQ movement. Uh, there is now environmental questions uh, cropping up. Uh, there's always the, uh, now another thing that is the, the human rights of migrant workers residing here in your doorsteps or residing with you in your homes, you know. Well, do they have any right? These are some of the issues that are uh, in our face, so to speak. And as Christians, we need to, excuse me, as Christians, we need to engage them um, and come to some kind of a uh, solution on how we can uh, live that out. But at the same time, as citizens, you are committed to this nation state. But we need to know that as Christians, we also live in this land, which is not ours, ultimately, as exiles. Just as the people in, uh, in Babylon, the, the nation of Israel, they live there as exiles. As exiles, we are only living on this land temporarily. You are here for a period of time, and then you will go. You will be with the Lord in heaven. You know, but in the meantime, you are here, um, and you may not sometimes feel like you want to be here. Some of you may even want to leave Singapore, and so um, we are exiles in, in that way. And as exiles, we may not want to be at the place where we are, we, where we may be. You, you see yourself as a sojourner. You may not be fully be committed, you know, to that place, and you see it as a temporary stay. I'm a PR, not PR, I'm just a you know, a worker. I'm a high-class migrant worker, basically, is what I am here in Singapore. I, I, I'm not committed to this land in the sense that I don't see this as my permanent place, but I'll do my part while I'm here, you know. Uh, so that's what an exile really means, okay? So as Christians, we live as this tension, as citizens and exile, and, uh, but our home ultimately is in the New Jerusalem. So uh, in this passage before us in the uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, basically, what God is doing is that he's addressing, the prophet is addressing the nation of Israel who was sent to Babylon for 70 years. The exile was a punishment, banishment from their own land because of their sins. Uh, and so you can imagine now the uh, Israelites, they go into Babylon, they're thinking, well, I don't want to be here. I have to be here and we're exiles. I'm not going to commit. Uh, I'm just going to grit my teeth and bear out to stay and, and, and uh, not do anything, you know, and hope one day I will very soon leave, all right? But that's not what God is saying to them. They're there for 70 years, you know, and, and God told them that uh, they need to seek the shalom in Babylon. Seek the shalom, the, the peace, the welfare, the prosperity of Babylon this foreign land. And so I believe that message is relevant to us, to you as Singaporeans. You ought to seek the welfare, the shalom of Singapore. You are here. You are its citizens. You know, what does that mean? How do you seek the peace and the welfare? Well, the text goes on to say that uh, they should, um, you know, build houses, <laughs> buy HDBs, you know, invest, settle down, plant gardens, eat of its produce, and more importantly, marry. 
have children. And when you have children, give your daughters to be married. If you have sons, you know, take wives for them to marry. In other words, make your home in this land. You know, don't always think that, you know, you're going to escape and leave. But make your home. Eat of its produce. Invest yourself into this country. Uh, this is really what uh, engagement is all about. You know, you are citizens here. And engagement means that you need to be aware of what are some of the issues uh, at the very forefront of society and culture today in Singapore. I'm not very well versed on it. Um, I know that there are environmental issues cropping up. I know there are social issues cropping up. There are ethical issues uh, cropping up. You know, what is the church doing? What is the church saying? Uh, or is the church even in dialogue, you know, with government agencies, with social agencies, with regards and educational, in, uh, you know, uh, agencies, with regards to these issues that are important to not only the Christians in Singapore, but all of society, all of the people in, in Singapore. And so this is what I'm saying, you know. And uh, I, I think uh, uh, a few years ago, there was this huge question about the low birth rate of Singaporeans. You're not having enough children. And at the same time, you know, you're not having enough children. And so the government wants to import people, uh, foreign talents to come in uh, to take over some of the jobs, to supplement the workforce. But at the same time, the, the local people, they say, why are you importing all these people in, you know? And so these are some issues that are front and center in terms of, uh, you know, you should not leave it just to, you know, the social agencies to address, but this is a national uh, issue. And I think the church needs to uh, address some of these things. Uh, you know, property prices, you know, whether singles can buy HDBs, whether you should uh, put your children in uh, PSLE, you know, class and all these other things. These are matters that parents and the church uh, need to address. Uh, and then now you have also an aging population in Singapore. How are you going to address and meet the needs of the aging uh, people? Uh, and even as well as uh, other people who are uh, here, especially migrant workers, all right? You are taking in more and more migrant workers, and you want to build a workforce, increase the population to seven, 7 million, I think, in a few more years or something like that. I ride the public transports every day, and I'm telling you, there's no more room for people to go into the public transport and buses and MRTs, you know, especially very on peak hours. It's just like packed in sardines, you know. And so um, uh, what Jeremiah is saying to the people there is that, but at the same time, we need to seek the peace of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf, all right? Seek the city, of, I mean, seek the welfare of the city and pray for its... Um, uh, on his behalf. So that means you should invest into your communities. Invest in your country. Don't think that you're just here on a short-term basis like me, you know, but you're here for life. Uh, enjoy, you know, try to build society, build a, a, a prosperous society so that you can enjoy the produce. You can enjoy living in Singapore, that this is a flourishing society. This is a mandate, not only for normal, ordinary human beings, and, but Christians as well, you know? And so this is what uh, uh, I think the text is saying here, all right? So let me go on to another text. This is from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. 
as we go to this text in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, what we see here uh, is uh, in the very uh, first uh, chapter of uh, Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's speaking to uh, Christians, Jews, who, are, who have been dispersed due to persecution uh, through the diaspora. In other words, they have been spread out, scattered all over Asia Minor. You know, just as many of us here are Chinese, but we don't belong to the land of China. We've been scattered, you know, in terms of the diaspora is concerned, right? It says, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, okay, as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, right? So in a way, just as the uh, early Christians, the Jews, were scattered all over Asia Minor, uh, we also are scattered all over the world as Christians, you know. And so our identity here is that we are not, this is not our land. This is not our permanent home, our ultimate home. Rather, our home, our calling is heaven, the new Jerusalem to come, all right? So with that in mind, now read 1 Peter 2 uh, in context. It says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners, okay, foreigners. You're all foreigners in a way because our home is in heaven. I urge you as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake in every, to every human authority, whether to the emperor uh, as the uh, supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend to those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show your respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Right? So this is uh, Peter's instruction on how people ought to live in the diaspora due to persecution. I believe these words pertain to us as well. Uh, we live here in this land. We ought to do good. We need to behave properly, you know, uh, in order to show others that we are indeed different. We have been transformed by the Spirit of God. We have a new identity, you know. We are citizens, but we are also exile. So there's always Christian, this tension in terms of the gospel-engaging culture. We should never be at peace, complete, you know, be at complete peace or feel complete at home in any land, regardless of where you are in the world. Because the values will be different. Our ultimate home is in heaven. That's what we should see. But at the same time, we are citizens of this land. So my question here is that what does doing good in society mean? How do we do good? What does good mean? Uh, is that as Christians, we should not just seek our own private welfare, but we should seek the welfare, the prosperity of the entire nation, of the entire community, whether they are Muslim, Hindus, Buddhists, you know, Taoists, 
or even, you know, free thinkers, you know. So we, we're not just uh, thinking for ourselves, but we think for everyone, you know. Uh, I, I think that's really what it means here in the text with regards to doing good in our communities, you know. And so what you see from this text is that in the Bible, I don't believe there is any kind of a uh, notion uh, of separatism of cr the Christian church from society. We're not separate from them. It's not we against them or them against us. The church should never be against society, you know, unless you need to speak up on something that is not good, right? But we don't dichotomize ourselves. Uh, and the gospel should never be dichotomized from culture and society. We live out the gospel message through our behavior in society, in culture, and you cannot divorce yourself. So this idea of separatism, whereby, you know, in the United States in the 1930s, there, there was this so-called uh, fundamentalist, modernist movement, whereby uh, because of the so-called heresies that went on in the major denomination, all the Christians wanted to leave the denomination, and they produced for themselves their own uh, Bible schools, their own universities, their own publishing houses, and they basically withdrew from society in total. And uh, they lived in isolation. Uh, and that turned out to be not a very good thing. Uh, they became separatist, you know. But rather, we should engage society with the gospel. All right? So that's my position. So uh, the second thing that I want to talk about so is that um, we need to somehow uh, learn to engage and be courageous. Take risks if you have to. Speak out when necessary and learn to do good in society, all right? Because our identity is that we are citizens as well as exiles, all right? So my, um, my question here is that how do we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ? How do we share, how do we live out our faith uh, in a very foreign land? We should not be totally complete, uh, comfortable living in Singapore society either because there are many things happening in, in Singapore which are antithetical to biblical teaching. You need to engage them. You need to somehow speak up uh, if necessary. What should be our message? What should be our posture? You know, as Christians, as a church, how should we convey the message, you know, of Jesus uh, to a so-called pagan society as, you know, as uh, Peter uh, said? I mean, I like to refer our passage to the Lord's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 13 to 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You know, uh, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor can anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But the lampstand... It gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So as Christians, we ought to be preservative. We need to somehow, uh, uh, somehow be, an in, be influential in pagan society, in secular society. Uh, that's what salt means, is to be influential, to be a preservative. But at the same time, we need to be light. That means we need to speak the truth as well, but in a, you know, dignified and in an appropriate way. 
Uh, and most of all, what Jesus is telling us is that we need to let our light shine and, you know, uh, let other people see our good works so that they can see that we are, in fact, Christians. We mean to do good, not only to Christians, not only to the church, but we do good to all of society so people can see our witness, you know. And I think that's really what we ought to do. Uh, and our message, therefore, is that we should never water down the gospel. We should never water down the biblical worldview. Uh, but at the same time, I believe that there are many people in Singapore. Uh, our church right now is in discussion about building a, a daycare center, a kindergarten in our premise, you know, whereby we ask, you know, invite people, you know, from the uh, communities to bring their kids. Uh, and, and, you know, it's going to be housed in a Christian church. And I know that many parents... Non-Christian parents are a bit wary about sending their children to a Christian kindergarten because they think that we're going to convert them, you know. But that should not be our ultimate goal, is to convert them. Our ultimate goal is just to serve the community, is to love them regardless of their background, regardless of what religion and, and you know, station in life they're from, you know. But there, so, but there is this perception amongst the non-Christian community in Singapore that whenever you send them to uh, a Christian school, kindergarten, you know, secondary school, that you're out there to convert them, you know, and they don't want that to happen. So should that be the main driving force of why we should even develop Christian schools or mission schools, you know? Is that why, is that why, what is the purpose of their existence, you know? But we should not force the gospel upon people. We should share we should live it out. But our ultimate goal by, you know, uh, serving the community is to help them for their lives to flourish, for their well-being, for their prosperity. All right? That's exactly what it means to, you know, to, uh, to seek the shalom of the city. All right? So I, I know that what I just said may sound, may not sit well with everyone. But I truly believe that, uh, you know, while we are preachers, we should proclaim, we should try to convert, share the gospel with people. But we should not cram the gospel down in people's throats. If their perception is that the reason why you're interested in me, why you want to take my children in is because we want to make them into Christians. That's not the reason why we want to take in their children. All right? And so here, the message that we perceive that we want to share with people is that we want to share the, 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 the Bible in a language that people can understand, you know, we hold common values with all of society as Christians. There is a common ground that Christians share with Muslims, with Buddhists. So as Christians, we should seek the welfare of the city uh, by being salt and light. That means we need to be gracious and respectful, polite toward those who disagree with us. Uh, and we agree to disagree, and that should be our posture uh, we go with a sense of humility. But at the same time, when given a chance, when people ask me why I am a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian, I have no problem sharing my faith. And I'll share it, you know, uh, with humility, but with clarity and with boldness. And that should be how we should uh, function. So I believe that uh, whether you are from QBC or ORPC and any church in, in, in the city of Singapore, you know, uh, our uh, commitment is not only to the congregation, to the Christian community, but we need to build society. We need to seek the welfare, the shalom of the city. And that's what I want to leave you with. 
and I end here uh, this uh, afternoon. I've gone, you know, it's a very broad topic. You, you need to invite me back and speak again on, you know, give me a little bit more time. This is my word of encouragement to you. So there are uh, some questions that I would pose to you now. If you believe what scripture is saying is true and in line, uh, you know, in small groups, I just introduced uh, these questions. Discuss the tension you experience as citizens and exiles in Singapore. You should experience tension because you're serving the Lord. At the same time, you're also serving mammon to a certain extent. You know, you're a citizen, you're an exile. What kind of tension is it like for you? I'm not there. I'm not in the marketplace. I live in the church. I serve the church. I, I do a little bit of a community project, but that's it, you know. Um, what are some issues and challenges that Singaporeans face in your communities? What are the current issues that people, you know, in, here in this community is facing? You want to reach out to them. Do you know them? Do you know what they're going through? What is, you know, their lifestyle, their, their you know, uh, life existence, the challenges and opportunities? Thirdly, how can QBC invest in and seek the welfare of people living in your community? What can you do to help them? Not just to, you know, with the intent to share the gospel, but just to help them, to help them to flourish, to bless them, to seek their welfare. And if the Lord op opens the opportunity to share the gospel, you share. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so these are the questions. And I leave it, uh, turn it back now to uh, Pastor Leonard. Mm -hmm.